You're listening to the Body Activism Podcast. I'm Serena Nankia, body activist, advocate for eating disorder recovery, and all-around badass trying to make a change in this world. I know that conversations about bodies can be a lot. The wellness industry and diet culture make it almost impossible to decipher what is real and what isn't. On this podcast, I'll harness all the noise and dialogue about the issues that matter. With the help of my guests, I'll debunk commonly held myths, challenge stereotypes, and educate about the realities of what it is to live in a body in the 2020s. I'm talking to all people, all ages, all sizes, all identities, all cards on the table. But remember, listening to this podcast is the easy work and only a foundation for change. It's what you do from now that will make a difference. So with that, get settled. Let's go make a change. Hello. I am so excited for this first podcast episode. My name is Serena Nangia, and I am here with my younger sister, one of my younger sisters, Ellen Nangia. And um, we are here to talk about her experience with her eating disorder and um, kind of, I, Ellen is my inspiration and the reason that I do the work that I do. And so there might be some tears and there (laughs) might be some happiness, but we are really excited to chat today. And this is the first time we've really talked about this whole experience. Yeah. You know, like for real and we're doing the details. Yeah, I don't I only really knew that you kind of had issues with an eating disorder and um but I think after learning more I'm going to like be pushing even harder for everything I'm doing. Totally. And then when you learn more about how to identify these things, I feel like you probably saw a lot of behaviors that I took on throughout my recovery and the height of my eating disorder. Yeah. I feel like there were things that I thought that I noticed that I thought were maybe issues, but then I asked you about them and kind of we didn't like address anything because mm-hmm. um, we did we were only, I mean, you can tell them about how old you were and stuff, but I I found out, I think I found out when I was 17, so my senior year of high school, which was actually... My Your freshman, freshman year. year. Yeah. And it was actually far after you had started. So, yeah. But in, in, why don't you introduce yourself, um, like what you are up to these days? I'm Ellen Nangia. I'm Serena's little sister. Um, I'm one of her younger triplet siblings, which has really led into my identity. Right now, I'm just going to University of Arizona. Um, studying pre-med in French and on the pre-med track. So really excited about that. Yes, we're super proud of her. So if you want to start kind of telling your story, yeah, and then we can, I can have some of the guiding questions along the way. So I guess I could start with the whole fact that you said that you recognized my eating disorder as a 17-year-old like senior in high school so my the height of my eating disorder started when I was 13 in eighth grade, and there was a definite trigger, triggering event that we can talk about. Um, but um, 
I actually have this diary entry, a pretty long one that I left in my time capsule in freshman year of high school to read as a senior, you know, just working on my emotions and seeing how different they would like progress to. And, you know, the first sentence is, I remember the first time I started noticing my weight. It was in third grade, Miss Blevins class. At the time I was around eight or nine, which makes you think how like young these feelings really come about. Um, yeah, so I just noticed, you know, I was developing uh, more quickly than the other girls. Like I was developing breasts, but like they weren't actually, it was just, I was kind of a chubby kid. And then those kind of feelings just continued on through my entire, you know, life. Um, in fifth grade, I remember my fifth grade teacher telling me I lost weight when I know I didn't. I was just sucking in in a really tight shirt. And she congratulated me because we were very close at that point. And that made me realize that people did notice what I was looking like. And then it kind of just transferred. I forgot about you know, I didn't really care in middle school. I walked around like I was the, the hottest bitch because I thought I was and I thought all these boys liked me and were paying attention to me, but they really weren't. Like, we could admit to that. And then in eighth grade was when the height of it all started and where I lost the most amount of weight. So I wasn't diagnosed until, you know, I started talking to my therapist about it because I wouldn't even talk to my therapist about it until I was, I think, a sophomore in high school when she finally like diagnosed me with um, anorexia at that point. Yeah. So that's kind of what, did you recognize that you were engaging in like eating disorder behaviors before that? Though? Um, no, I 100% agree with myself when I say no, I did not recognize that I had an eating disorder, but I did recognize that I was ashamed of what I was doing. Um, you know, I was hiding the restriction of calories. I was hiding the supplements I was taking. I was hiding um, how many times a day I weighed myself. Um, I was hiding that my clothes weren't fitting right. But I still knew that something was wrong and that I didn't want my parents to know and I didn't want you to know. Did you did you know, like, when did you learn what an eating disorder even was? Um. I'd say probably in high school, like as coming into a freshman year, because I obviously knew that eating disorders existed and I knew what anorexia was, but it kind of was represented towards me for this very um, like drastic change of weight, like automatically. And, you know, there's this whole stigma towards people who are very skinny being considered anorexic. But I, at that point, um, at one point was not very skinny until I did get um, lose a lot of weight uh, very quickly and I think that's what made me identify it as like an actual eating disorder and then I used to call them eating disorder tendencies because I didn't rec like I didn't want to identify as having an eating disorder but once I did I could identify all the behaviors that weren't healthy and then I could talk to people about it. And then I could just open up and say, hey, I have this. And this is what I'm going through. Yeah, I feel like a really important step in recovery is just acknowledging that and being able to talk mm -hmm. to people. Do you want to talk about like what triggered it? So it was eighth grade. Granted, my best friend, Callie, um, she's 
a beautiful human being and she's also just a very fit human being. So I always compared myself to my best friends and, you know, Nicole and even my sister, my twin sister, Sophia, like she was, she's very little, she's 4'10 still. Um, and we were in the Blue Valley Middle Library after school, Callie and I, and we were sitting in the computer room and these two cute boys from my grade. Wow. I loved them. They threw a note at me and they threw it at Callie and I, but it got to me. And at the front, it said, you're cute. But then I flipped it over and it said, you're fat. And I just broke down. And for me, it was thinking one of them was meant for Callie and one of them was meant for me. When in retrospect, like, I don't think either was meant for either of us. It was just boys being stupid but it triggered me so extensively the fact that I went to the library and I showed her the note. I got them basically in trouble. Um, I was a narc back then, <laughs> as I should be. And then it really hit me when the vice principal asked me to come see her. So I went and saw her and she just told me how beautiful I was. And I didn't believe anything she said. She said, you're not big. You're not fat. But it also was in a way that was kind of putting it as in if I was, it wasn't what I wanted to be. Um, but she didn't mean that, of course. <laughs> but it just wasn't the right words that I needed at that point. And then um, that's when, like, the dieting started in fourth grade, granted. Um but it didn't start so extensively. And like, I wasn't actually following such a strict diet until I was in eighth grade. In fourth grade, it started with like one of my friends sharing that her and her mom are going on Weight Watchers and hey, Ellen, you should like watch your calories. So then I did. And at one point as a, how old was I in fifth or fourth grade? It was in fourth grade. So I was nine or 10. I lost pounds. I remember going from pounds to pounds and then literally just gaining it all back but it's just crazy thinking about that low of a weight and how young I was and I carried around I was reading in this um diary entry like I was carrying around a yellow post-it note writing all my calories on Halloween on freaking Halloween where kids should just be enjoying their candy and I was writing down every single skittle I ate but that was like the very beginning of like the dieting I remember talking to my doctor um, and saying, she mentioned that I lost weight. Um, and I said, yeah, I, I went on a diet. And I told her that. And then the first thing she says was, I don't want the word diet in a nine-year-old's vocabulary. And I didn't really understand that at that point either. But now I definitely do. I feel like uh, we our pediatrician was actually better informed about this stuff than I know a lot of other people's doctors were. But at the same time, when I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, she encouraged mama to put me on Weight Watchers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting how someone who is informed and knows about the detriment, the detrimental effects of diets in young kids, like I think a lot of doctors at, at that point didn't see Weight Watchers even as a diet. Um, more of just a lifestyle right like more balanced but how yeah go um, ahead. I was just gonna talk more about like the doctor situation because that was 
that was one of the most triggering experiences for me was going to the doctors. Um, And it still remains a little bit. Um, I used to dread going to the doctors at any point. When I was sick, I wouldn't tell mother that I was sick because that meant I had to go to the doctors and I had to stand on the weighing scale and they had to read out the numbers to me. Um, but yeah, so I remember in the height of my, of the eating disorder, like in eighth grade, when I lost, um, the majority of the weight within like a month, um, they noticed because, you know, I went from this percentile just straight down and, um, I don't remember the whole conversation, but mama was just very not informed about the emotions that kind of came with it and um doc mentioned the weight loss and mama kind of just went she went oh yeah because she's not eating that was very triggering for me um because I didn't really recognize that she was watching it but she kind of said it in a very mean way that kind of made me feel very ashamed about it even more than I already was um and at that point I couldn't take it she said a couple probably more things minor things and trying to fix what she said and then I stormed out of the hospital room and they luckily my psychologist was also in the same building so they pulled my psychologist into the doctor's room and I walked it I got back in and they kind of like discussed it with me but I just left I didn't talk to her mom after that for a few hours kind of situation And I remember, you know, we all have a choice. And this is a choice that I make now is that when I'm at the doctors, um, if I'm feeling very um, like if I'm feeling like my recovery isn't on spot, usually it has been right lately. So I've been fine, like knowing my weight. But I used to ask them, like, hey, can you guys not just um, not say my weight out loud and just put on the charts and I won't see it or look at it? Or, um, yeah, I remember another really hard part of something was when Poppy came to a urgent care visit with me and they have the big old scales in the floor with a big old um like red lighting scale so you could see like across the room like how much I weighed and I was very uncomfortable and it was the hardest thing to not only turn around on the scale so I could see it it was asking my dad to turn around too so he could see it because I wasn't comfortable with anyone knowing the number. And obviously you understand, like, through your um, research and just experiences, like, numbers are very triggering for people with eating disorders. So, yeah. But I think that was such an eye-opening event when I had, like, years after my downward spiral where I had to, like, ask him to turn around, too. And he knew in the moment why. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. He was very nice about it. That's really good. Crazy. I feel like this is conversation um, that I have with a lot of people about, especially about trauma and the effect that our parents and our family members have on who we are as people and our emotions. And we are lucky that in my opinion, our parents have almost always had the best intentions at heart Mm -hmm. but often um it just doesn't come out the way that it's 
supposed to. And so, I mean, it's one of the things I talked a lot about with my friends and stuff is that both of our parents are healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. My dad's a doctor. Our dad's a doctor and our mom's a nurse and she's not practicing anymore, but she was trained as a nurse. And so you'd think that as healthcare practitioners, they would be more trained in these sorts of things. But the reality is they're definitely not. Yeah, they definitely aren't. Um, And then I know it's very different for like their own child to be going through it and to admit to the fact that, um, you know, I never, ever blame our parents for, you know, our lifestyle, I guess, because we just we all have issues. We had issues with, um, you know, having triplets and then. Poppy being amazing and working all the time for our benefit and um, our mom being ill that we would be fed pasta on a daily or mac and cheese. And um, we weren't taught healthy portion sizes because they just wanted to give us what we wanted. Um, So I never truly blamed them for that, but I did definitely regret it. Like I was regretful in my, um, like in the height of it towards them for you know encouraging my behaviors maybe not even encouraging just placing new lifestyle that lifestyle on me yeah because we're we're all born with into a certain environment which is like eating disorders from what I've learned in the past few years is eating disorders are a biopsychosocial environmental disorder so the biological part comes from our genetics. The environmental comes from where we are, what environment we are in, what culture we're in. Like, and then the psychosocial is like what's going on in our brain and what's going mm-hmm. on um, from our peers. That's it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So the biological is definitely, I mean, our family has always struggled, I feel, with weight, um, especially on our dad's side. Um, and then. The environmental, you know, we're living in a very um, bubble community with rich white suburbs. Yeah, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> um, rich white suburbs with mothers who um, have all the time to work out, and um, you know, everybody goes through their own troubles, and everything's relative. But most of the girls at our high school were fit and skinny and pretty to say the least I think I wonder just saying all of this and kind of reflecting on our experiences you know we are biracial and Mm -hmm. I feel like that part of our culture that we haven't even explored and never really explored and talked about actually probably had a much bigger effect on us than we think because in reality we could not physically turn into those white thin girls. We are not those girls. Mm-mm. And thank you for saying that. Yeah, I agree. And I wonder because I think about I think about the other, the f- like five other people in each of our classes that were non-white, and how much they look similar, more like closer in body type to me. And like I mean, it depended on the people, but you know which race and, right yeah. especially like Ethnicity. people who are indian it's um it's also like food and it's part of the I was gonna say it's in our culture mm-hmm. to eat and um a very like another interesting point which is good that you brought that up is 
I definitely was affected by that. And I recognized it probably earlier than even recognizing that I had an eating disorder because um, our grandma, Grandma Premla, um, she didn't recognize that she herself had image issues and body weight issues because she grew up um, overweight. But uh, she influenced me as a kid and Sophia and you by telling us that we looked chubby or telling us to do sit-ups. And um, I used to blame her a lot, I think, for someone who I feel like we didn't see a lot as kids, even though we were influenced by her words. Yeah, and I think actually it makes a lot of sense that because as our mom got sicker, which was like the big, like eighth grade, your your eighth grade and beginning of freshman year was when our mom was really starting to get sick that our grandmother kind of take took over um, and was helping us. But at the same time, was it was the same habits that we had been experiencing, except a lot more instability, even food wise, like because our mom for so many years made dinner every night, but by, but she got sick and she just really couldn't take care of us in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like we, as a family turned more towards fast food and getting food out and. Mm-hmm. And then we, I remember one of my responsibilities um, more towards the, I think I was probably like, yeah, no eighth grade. Yeah. 13 ish. Um, I, one of my responsibilities was grocery shopping and I kind of took that upon myself because I like lists and I like going shopping. So grandma would drop me off at the grocery store at 12, 13, and I would go get us food. And, you know, you guys would ask for things and I would get them and I would see things and I would get them. And I wouldn't really think about, um, the repercussions of that dieting or the non-dieting, I guess. Yeah, just like not a balanced like diet or balanced like meals, um, because but go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say because it was sometimes like the unhealthier things were just easier to make, or that we were craving comfort. At least this is what I experienced: is I was craving comfort and mm-hmm. like love, and so while I didn't experience like binge eating disorder, I think that I definitely still had a very emotional attachment to food during, while I was growing up. Absolutely. And I feel a lot of people will like relate to that. And it's either, you know, overeating comfort foods or it's under eating. And I think I struggled with both when I was younger, it was definitely like overeating. And then once I gained control and I could, literally control my weight by what I ate so specifically you know because I I was weighing myself every every day and I knew what I was eating I was counting my calories and I was even balancing my calories through and my exercise um, through an app so you know I had this many calories to eat and then I did two hours of exercise this day so then I could actually I either had an extra deficit of calories or I stayed at the deficit I was already at, which was very low. Do you want me to like talk about, I mean, we can like cut out the like calorie count. Yeah. Yeah. The following minute of content includes numbers and calorie counting specific to my sister's eating disorder. If this is triggering or might be triggering to you, please skip forward about 90 seconds or a minute and a half.
Thank you. So um, I used an app called Lose It, and it basically it gave you how much you wanted to lose and how many weeks, and then it gave you the calories. So I put in my weight. I put in that I wanted to lose five pounds a week, and it gave me the calories. I think it was 600. And I ate 600 calories for weeks. I ate 300 calories for weeks. And then I went back up to 600, and I ate 700, and I felt awful. Um, and just to like clarify that this is less than a, like about a third of what someone my age and height and weight should have been eating. And another very important part is the veganism that I uh, experienced. I do not regret going vegan, but the initial aspects of that was definitely my eating disorder. I have in here, so Ariana Grande is my soulmate. She is amazing, but um, because I loved her so much, I definitely like looked up to her. And one of her things was veganism. She's a vegan, and I recognized that she lost weight between Victorious and um, becoming famous with like Mac Miller, and so crazy that it's like come full circle. And I still love her music. Um, so I went vegan, and I studied it, and I understood it. And I told people I was lactose intolerant, which I probably am a little bit, but I used that as an excuse. And then that gave me an opportunity to go get what foods I wanted to eat, aka low-calorie foods. Um, I used to have a corner in our pantry for my vegan foods. And, you know, through the recovery, you know, I didn't, I don't think I truly started recovering until junior year of high school. Um, but through like going down into the pits in freshman year and eighth grade and sophomore year, and then like starting to go up, um, I liked, I started to like veganism as a lifestyle rather than um, for losing weight. I feel like it might've been around that time that you allowed yourself to eat certain things that were not vegan, but would you say that? Yeah, I agree. You know, just like random. I remember Cameron, our brother, handing me a chicken nugget end of sophomore year. And I hadn't had meat in two and a half years. Crazy to me, honestly. Thinking about it now, I love bacon. Um, <laughs> and I ate it. And then I realized, like, why am I vegan? Like, why did I go vegan? Did I really have this passion about animals? I mean, yes, but no. Like, I knew that I wasn't going to fix one thing. Um, I liked the health aspects of it, but overall, yeah, there wasn't really a reason. Yeah, I think that that's... So, I, at the eating disorder treatment center that I work at as an outreach person, we, um, our policies that we don't cater towards veganism, but we do cater towards vegetarianism. And the reason is because so many people do use it as an excuse. Uh, and it's really hard to gain full recovery and prolong recovery when you're restricting so many foods. Um, it's not to say that it's not possible, but it's certainly could be a barrier to recovery. Mm -hmm. And many many of the youtubers that i used to follow vegan youtubers you know recipes and just everything came out and said they had eating disorders so i definitely see that um that connection and that relationship 
Um, I think going vegan is a choice that you have to make uh, solely based on ethics and like how your body feels, you know, like I'm gluten free now because I found out I was allergic to wheat. So that has cut my carbon take for bread, but I kind of like make it up with rice and like other white flours and versus when I was vegan, I wouldn't compensate for what I was like losing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I was going to bring back because we were talking, you talked about the feeling of control. Mm-hmm. which is really at the essence of an, of eating disorders. And I think you can tell me what you think, but it's essentially an imitation of control. It's not like you feel like you're in control, but it's actually something else that's controlling you. Mm-hmm. What would you what would you say? I like that description, like imitation of control because in my emotional state, I was not in control. You know, I was in control of what I was eating. And that's because I was the sole provider of my nutrients, you know, Um, but I felt I didn't recognize that I wanted the control. Actually, I did recognize that I wanted the control before the eating disorder. I knew that I wanted just to be able to know my fluctuations in weight versus um, like knowing that it was anorexia. Um, But, you know, our family has gone through a lot and. I did not feel in control at that point, and especially as an eighth grader um, through beginning of high school, feeling very insecure in myself, you know, like I hadn't gone on dates with boys yet. Um, I was still insecure about my personality, my loud ass, like bitchy self, you know, um, and like through time, I recognized that people didn't care what I looked like anymore. You know, I still get props for my looks. We all do. Like, it's society. Shit happens. Um, But I've really grown into who I want to be and, like, loving my personality to the end of the earth. That's so beautiful. I love that. I think um, middle school specifically, I mean, there is a statistic that it's, like, at 10 years old, 80% of girls want to be on a diet. So it's really starts earlier than middle school, but I would say middle school is, is generally a little bit traumatic um, for everyone. And then because it's part of like puberty, we're going through puberty and then also going through start, people are starting to date. I didn't start to date until actually college um and so that was something I was incredibly insecure about and I also was insecure about my loud personality and like went into freshman year saying I'm gonna be quieter boys are gonna like me more and then they didn't um and then I like as I got back to myself senior year as like boys are loved just- you I didn't yeah. know that I knew you were really cool, but then I started hanging out with Serena's friends this summer. Literally, like, people Serena went to high school with, and I'll mention her name, and they'll be like, oh my god, we loved Serena. And, you know, like, I really looked up to you because I did very similar things, you know, like, we were both, um, you know, like, dance royalty, like, who would have thunk it? Um, And then, like, Tiger Pride and very involved in school, like, senior class president, like, all that. Crazy. Yeah. I feel like people underestimate us in general. Yeah. Um, Not anymore. Which sucks for them. But <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, 
there, it's hard to say that there are positives to trauma and to going through really tough times. Um, but in order to move forward, I've kind of found positive parts of it, meaning like because our mom was sick and our dad was working, I had to take care, help take care of you guys, mm-hmm. my three, three younger siblings. Um, but I also don't want to say had to be, because I don't want it to seem like it was a burden, but because really it was a privilege and I see you guys as my babies. And it was so funny. I was talking on the phone with my therapist yesterday and I almost called you my children. Like I went my, ch- and then I was like my <laughs> siblings. Um, <laughs> Sophia be- calls us ch- children. Yeah. You guys True. are my children, children. Um, but because of that experience, I was able to become a leader so much quicker than other people. Um, I agree. And I'm curious, like, has anything come of being in recovery? And like, what what made you feel like start to go into recovery? And what kind of sustains that for you? so what started I think like the true it was sophomore year like end of sophomore year was when my friends were starting to show the same behaviors that I had um and I feel like this is important to note to say one of them was male um one of them and then both were minorities um and seeing like this over exercising like more of an orthorexia than anorexia or a mix of both for him um And then seeing my friend doing the same, um, who was a girl, finally allowed me. And then another friend, you know, like so many people, like, like you said, 80% of girls who are 10 years old want to go on a diet. 80%. That's crazy. Like so many people are feeling this way, but we're so ashamed to talk about it that we don't understand that everyone's like literally feeling this way, even if it's not as detrimental as an eating disorder. Um, So I remember going to Starbucks with my friend and sat her down and I said here here's what's going on like I talked to my therapist um I have an eating disorder like and I've had one for a while and it's been pretty bad like I had to go to a dietitian but I could have made inpatient care at some point like for sure if I kept going um and she explained her situation and it just made me feel like relatable and um like not alone yeah, so kind of seeing other people and helping them was a catalyst for your recovery. And it continues to be now. Like, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll tell the audience, like, right before this, I was crying with Serena um, because I suddenly realized what I was about to tell the world. And, you know, I'm not ashamed of it anymore, but I realized, like, how I started reading this diary entries Um again, that I haven't read since senior year of high school. And I just started crying um, because like, I didn't understand like how crazy it was and how much now, why I want to be on this podcast, why I respect you for your work, Serena, so much um, because people need it. Like people need to hear it. And when I tell girls that like that are relating to my story, I will straight up say, yeah, I had an eating disorder. And then there'll be like, no way. Like, I think I had one too. Let's share. Yeah. That's so great. I feel like the more that you're able to share, the more it might be like, like, like you said, continue recovery and 
I mean, even me being able to share about whatever traumas I've been through in life has, like, it's just easier than holding it all in. Um, so what other things kind of um, provide you with hope towards recovery? Um, I'd say the, re- like, recognition of behaviors that I, or, you know, the intrusive thoughts, recognizing that they are intrusive and shutting them down. When I'm at the doctors um, now, again, if I don't feel comfortable, I will ask them to not say it. But, you know, I know how much I weigh and um, it's not bothering me. You know, it might bother me a little bit inside, but I know I'm not going to be doing anything about it except trying to live a healthy lifestyle. You know, if I naturally lose weight, um, that's better. And if I'm working out to be stronger, and I think this is an interesting um, perspective I had that cholecystectomy, so I had my gallbladder removed, and then it caused some repercussions with my GI issues. Like, I wasn't able to eat, and that six months, I lost a lot of weight, almost like, like, I felt similar to eighth grade. Like, I lost all this weight, and I felt in control, but it wasn't on my terms because it was because of a medical issue, so it made me appreciate food. Um, cause I was only eating a few spoonfuls of this or that a day because I was so nauseous and I was throwing it all up. And I told my friends that, you know, um, I started really enjoying food and really understanding like how much it meant to our bodies and how like nourishing it is and how intense we need it. Yeah. Yeah, we do need food. And it, it is interesting how um, not being able to have it is just remind you. It's like um, trying to think, you know, like anytime you don't have something, you're like when your nose is stuffed and <laughs> and yeah. you're like, I'm going to appreciate so much once it's not stuffed anymore. But when we're actually just existing, we don't appreciate it. Um, totally being able to breathe properly um (laughs) are there any celebrities or accounts or people that you follow that encourage you to think about recovery like really positively um I don't actually I really don't follow any um body positive accounts even though I have access to them um except you my love (laughs) intro to body positivity um but I think the I think you could really talk towards the media aspect of um eating disorders and all that I used to have a Pinterest board called summer and it used to be locked so no one could see it and all it was was pictures of very fit females in bikinis and um it's what my goals were they didn't look like me they didn't look even close to what I looked like I was five foot one in eighth grade. And these women were 25 years old and at the gym twice a day, you know? Uh, So that was my influence on media. But now I feel that I have a very low influence of media on my um, body image. I still definitely struggle with body dysmorphia, but that's like in my own head and in my own mirror versus I don't compare myself to celebrities anymore. Um, Not like I, I haven't in a long time. That's really amazing. I think it's something that most people struggle with as far as like comparing themselves to other people. 
um, as well as celebrities. But yeah, the media has a huge influence on our body image. Um, and there's actually a study, it's very interesting, because um, I know you like research and science. So there was a study, I'm not quite sure when it was, they went to Fiji, the researchers, and came along this community of young girls. And they had never been exposed to Western media or social media or TV or anything. And they asked them questions and did surveys. And then they introduced Western media. And they left them. Not sure how ethical that was. And they came back years later. And a large portion of them had developed eating disorders and body That's insane. Issues. Yeah. That's so crazy. I'll insert the actual um, researchers so to make sure that we're <laughs> citing the facts. <laughs> Sources. Yes. Hey, y'all. So I'm inserting the resources and the research about the study that I just mentioned. Um, the study in Fiji was led by Dr. Ann E. Becker, Director of Research at the Eating Disorders Center of Harvard Medical School. And they investigated shifts in body image and eating practices in Fiji over a three-year period. So Dr. Becker and her colleagues surveyed 63 Fijian secondary school girls whose average age was about 17. They started in 1995, and in 1998, they surveyed another group of 65 girls from the same schools who were matching in their age, weight, and other characteristics. The results are pretty surprising. So 15% in the 1998 survey reported that they had induced vomiting to control their weight, and that compared with 3% in the 1995 survey. In addition, 29% scored highly on a test of eating disorder risk, compared with 13% three years before. So the girls were um, watched television three or more nights a week, and um, those girls in the 1998 survey were 50% more likely to describe themselves as too big or fat and 30% more likely to diet than girls who watch television less frequently. So this is a huge research study that is very complicated and has a lot of moving parts. If you want to learn more about it, um, there's a New York Times article that was just quoting um, by Erica Goody called Study Finds TV Alters Fiji Girls' View of Body uh, from 1999. And if you want to read more from Dr. Becker, um, there's a few studies on the NIH Library of Medicine. Um, so you can just Google Fiji Eating Disorder Study. Um, I, I Googled Fiji Body Image Study, and you'll find more about it. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I think that's very Back interesting, and I know because it didn't, it hasn't affected me towards the end of my recovery. But um, all my friends who have eating disorders or have eating disorder tendencies um, are definitely affected by media. 
Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting. So you use the term eating disorder tendencies, which I think is accurate and could also be equalized to disordered eating. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, I, th- I think so disordered eating and eating disorders are different. Disordered eating is non-diagnosed um, and is simply like engaging in diet culture to a greater degree and starting to obsess over weight and starting to obsess over what you look like. But an eating disorder is diagnosed by a psychologist or a mental health professional. So, um, which I know you know this, but I'm just kind of adding some information. So it's known that disordered eating often and can lead to eating disorders. So I think it makes sense that you said I had eating disorder tendencies and then at some point... Yeah, it turned into, yeah, yes. Um, and it's likely, like, most of us in the world experience, at least in the U.S., experience some level of disordered eating, um, whether it's a deep connection or emotional connection to food, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it's just when it gets kind of to a place that's mm-hmm. not balanced. So, yeah. And I was going to say it'd be interesting to like include um, a part on like the physical, I think, implications I had and like other people have of eating disorders, like the actual health Mm -hmm. impacts, if I can. Um, So eating disorders are known for usually um, usually the ones where it's calorie restrictive and uh, high exercise. Uh, For women, we lose our menstrual cycle. I didn't get my menstrual cycle until I was 16, turning 17, which is very late because my twin sister got it when she was 13, 14. Um, And I thought I was just a late bloomer. You know, I I even um, didn't develop like my big titties that I have now um, until I started eating more. Uh, So that was my first thing. You know, I didn't notice a lot of hair loss instantly during um, like the height of my eating disorder, but during recovery and relapses, during my relapses, hair falling out everywhere. I was getting bald spots. It was actually kind of insane. Um, And my period would stop again. And then I mentioned this um, cholecystectomy, the gallbladder removal. My doctor asked like, this is, you know, you're young, you're 18. Why is this happening? I don't know if you knew of this, but um, he goes, you know, like these things usually happen when you lose weight really fast or like this and that. And then right when he said lose weight really fast, I go, you know, like I lost pounds in a month when I was younger and I continued to like relapse and return back to like fluctuate my weight so heavily. Um, And then he goes, yeah, like that was it. And at that point, you know, father had understood that it was an eating disorder, even though we hadn't really like had a one-on-one about it. Um, But I said that in front of him and he was like, wow, like I didn't recognize that you lost that much weight that quickly. And so I had to get my freaking gallbladder removed and had major surgery and had repercussions from that on surgery. You know, like it's eating disorders are detrimental not only to our emotional health but our physical health and it continues past recovery yes and some other things that you can add so if you if someone experiences bulimia meaning purging um if they throw up then that affects your teeth um 
it also affects your bone density um, if you're not getting enough nutrients. So you're, you might, I mean, I wonder if your arthritis is related yeah, so, to that. Yeah, I just got diagnosed with RA, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I'm not sure. I think that would be a very interesting question for my doctor. You know, I'm struggling a lot right now. Um, like with my arthritis, I'm 20 years old. I have dreams of being a surgeon and I have struggled moving my hands. And, you know, if that was something that affected it, I don't know if I could be okay with that because this is something that's going to affect me for the rest of my life. And I, you know, because of our mother's illness, you know, I think we have an unhealthy relationship with illness. Um, for me, it's being afraid of being crippled and being a burden. So, you know, I do want to ask the questions or look up the research if um, that could have affected it. I feel like it might not, but it isn't genetic. So, um, but like screw yeah. the gallbladder because I, that was figured out and that's temporary. This is permanent. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's definitely not, it's definitely not confirmed no, yeah. <laughs> in any way. And because I think you also, for an eating disorder, yours didn't last as long as often some people's mm -hmm. eating disorders last decades. That doesn't mean it's any less valid, Absolutely. of course, but that the impact might not have been as severe. Um, I agree. But yeah, I think it's just keeping an eye on. So another like a really important um, part of eating disorders is how it affects athletes. Um, and I think that's another interesting part because you were also an athlete during your the recovery height, yeah. I think and your height the height yeah even I mean that, track and field the, I was never you know someone to do sports did softball when I was younger but it wasn't like heavy cardio or anything um so I was like overweight when I was younger and then when I turned vegan and I started losing all this weight it was also because of joining track and field and every day we would do hit 90 workouts with a big old muscular man and all my friends, you know, Callie and just like everyone working out really hard. Um, so I felt really good, you know, working out and enjoying it. But then it again became toxic. And, and you weren't for part of that time, you didn't have the nutrients to supplement that energy you were expending. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because nowadays I notice when I don't eat, you know, this morning I was running late and I went to work and I didn't eat um, those six hours of work and I was feeling it and I was recognizing that I was getting exhausted. But back then, I don't think I recognized, you know, this exhaustion and it might have been like a brain imbalance because it was compensating so much. But then, you know, talking about athletics and um, just like exercising I feel like a part of my anorexia was over-exercising for sure. You know, it was part of the anorexia, not like orthorexia. Um, but, you know, I would run miles a day. I feel like you remember that. And then I know in junior year or senior year, I ran a half marathon. But it, at that point, I was deep in my recovery. So it was definitely towards losing weight and feeling healthy. But it wasn't this control. Yeah. 
do you do you remember when you did a lot of yoga? Mm-hmm. What point was that at? So I went towards yoga. Oh my gosh, yeah, seriously. Uh, sophomore year, this kind of makes me recognize like that my eating disorder was strong through the beginning of high school because um, sophomore year, I would go after school with my brother and sometimes our dad um, to Lifetime Fitness and I would run four miles a day. And, you know, that's not a lot for some people, but that was a lot for me. And it, and then I would go do an hour yoga session afterwards. But yoga has remained this like calming aspect towards exercise and stretching. And, you know, I'm really flexible. So it kind of gives me a sense of confidence. Um, but the running and the running, I really liked running at that point because I was good at it again because I was running a lot. But the running was to lose weight. But the yoga was to breathe and, you know, gain strength. Yeah, I think it's interesting and normal that or it's normal that I think actions with different intentions can exist alongside each other. Absolutely. Uh, you're not like you're engaged in this eating disorder, like your brain, your eating disorder brain is telling you one thing and then part of your brain is telling you another. And rather than like when you're getting closer to recovery, maybe you're able to hear both voices um, I definitely hear both voices now. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, do you think, um, like, how are you doing? Do you think it's the ED voice is a little, um, not as strong? Um, yeah, it's definitely not as strong as, you know, during the pit. Um, you know, I, I feel again, like I started recovering in junior year. Junior year was also, again, the year that I started, um, you know, getting a lot more friends, like new friends. And uh, that was the year of my first boyfriend, the year I lost my virginity, like all this stuff. Um, and boys started noticing me. But but I would say, like, sorry, this was, I forgot what you said, so I was going to go back. Um, no, go ahead. The whole ED thing, it definitely, like, pops in and out. Like, I've been struggling the past couple of weeks, like, literally just a couple weeks um with it in my head and I think this would be an interesting topic to go into like after you finish your thought is um like intimate relationships and eating disorders or just like like body image with partners yeah um I think during times of transition they you know stress and increased stress is probably um you have a lot, you've had a lot going on the past few weeks and being home as well and not being in your normal environment. So, um, and what I have heard from the many people who I've talked to who are in recovery at different stages is that the longer you're in recovery, the quieter that voice gets. Some people consider themselves recovered, um, which means that they don't think about that stuff anymore. So I think that that is a possibility. Um, but I, I couldn't say since I haven't experienced it. Mm -hmm. I think obviously the most like in any addiction or any disorder, you could say like recovery is such a roller coaster. Um, I, you know, weeks before a vacation uh, where I'd be wearing a swimsuit, I'd go into a relapse for two three weeks and you know lose a few pounds lose the bloat because I wasn't properly like giving myself resources and um but then you know the relapses get shorter the ED voice gets 
quieter and then you realize like how much you love yourself yeah that's all it yeah I think it's interesting how you call it relapse which is a term that I think is used more in um drug and alcohol recovery but I really like that because it's temporary recognizing it's temporary and um and I think the other thing with you know I think a lot of people compare eating disorders to addiction but the difference that is that you can't stop eating like you can stop drinking you can stop doing drugs and continue that and that's what you know like what people know as recovery and being sober but there's no such thing as being sober from an eating disorder because you have to have food yeah being sober in an eating disorder is natural living and lifestyle yeah yeah like a base like healthy baseline Mm -hmm. so i guess the last question and then you can add anything you'd like is um how do you feel about me doing all this work and starting the podcast and I'm starting a business also um so I think it's insanely cool I think I didn't recognize until probably this year that everything you've been doing has I mean like I'm not gonna say I'm your inspiration which I know you did but like that it might have started with seeing me struggle so much and like leading into my depression and just like all this mumbo jumbo you know I you're I always knew you were very interested in body positivity you were part of uh rebel a um you know body positivity club in high school and you encouraged our twin sister my twin sister to do it too but honestly like screw your major because this is something I feel like you're so passionate about and I'm so excited for it and you just have to keep on getting people to listen to what you have to say what I have to say um and I loved the podcast you did with Addie about like her experiences in like media and her band and you know traveling the world you listen yeah just some of it I'm not gonna lie just a a little bit (laughs) um but seriously like I want you to do so well and I didn't know this was something you were doing because we haven't been living together for many years yeah yeah well I think it's like you knew that I was doing social media, but I had all these plans in my head mm-hmm. that are now manifesting themselves. I think when it comes to passions that you can get off on the wrong track and start going towards something else. And when something is as like when something pulls you this much towards a cause, it doesn't matter what you think you're doing. Because you're going to end up back where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and you really you really are my inspiration along with Ellen. Uh, with, no, you're Ellen. I'm Ellen. <laughs> along with Sophia. You really are my inspiration. <laughs> you really are my inspiration along with Sophia and Cameron. Um, because they both dealt with their own body image issues as well. Was Cameron say, was a wrestler. Yeah. And he worked out Sophia, yeah, Cameron definitely dealt with some things, and Sophia is like so has little. for a long time been 
like insecure about her shortness. I think she's getting used to it. But mm-hmm. um, and we all have like some mental health issues or mental all of us illnesses. Guys. The entire family except um, my mother. But she definitely has issues she, too. She does. She, she just doesn't it, acknowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like guys, we were uh, all on the same medication at one point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we we definitely are. Um, these days yeah (laughs) so I feel like just mental health in like coming from our family and coming from where we like our community that I don't think talked about it nearly as much Mm -mm. as it needed to be and also growing up and realizing out out of school out of high school and then even out of college like talking to some of my best friends who had alcoholic parents who had abusive parents and it's just like these white suburbs that everybody thinks the facade is it's complete facade i'm actually gonna write a book about it don't (laughs) the Um, bubble no that's a good Mm -hmm. no the memoir it's gonna be a memoir about i'll tell you the title after we stop (laughs) Um, in progress (laughs) in progress um but yeah anything you else you wanted to add um just that I think as we talk and as like we're raw about everything and like I'm kind of okay with people hearing everything because I don't I feel like it would help more than it would hurt um as long as it's not triggering for people um but people don't recognize like literally their neighbor me or their best friend like some of my best friends probably don't recognize like how deep this was for me um and then knowing like in college more people are willing to like open up about it well I wanted to I want to really thank you for your vulnerability and um I love you so much and I'm so glad we got to have this conversation um it's important and I honestly the fact that we were able to do kind of this as our first conversation was important because I think we can show other people that it's possible to have these hard conversations and how important it is. For sure. And, you know, obviously people will take a long time to open up, but I took four or five years to even like truly admit it to closer friends. So, um, you know, people who are struggling out there, like you have time, but sooner the better for your own health and your own mindset and your own love. Uh, like you're a lo- everyone's loved so much by so many people, but we just might not see it right then and there when we're going through like a lot of stuff. And you were and are so loved and I'm always here for you. Um, Thank you again. Thank you. And I look forward to many more discussions like this in the future. Yeah, seriously. Get me on this stuff. I'm ready. I'm ready to influence too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the Body Activism Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.